Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of news impacting the precious metals markets. It's Friday, July 28th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. You know, the way the mainstream seems to perceive the economy right now reminds me a lot of the way Floridians view hurricanes that are still many days away from landfall. You know, the hurricane's out there somewhere. It's being forecast, but it's a long way off. And the mentality is generally, well, everything is fine. There's no hurricane coming. Didn't have a hurricane last time. And look, the weather's beautiful. And, you know, it's interesting because for a lot of people in Florida, there is no preparation for a hurricane until it's right on the doorstep. You know, it's like they wait until five hours before the thing is supposed to make landfall, and then they panic and start going to the grocery store and and to the hardware store and getting batteries and doing all of those things that really you should do long before uh, there's ever even a storm forming. But everybody just assumes everything's going to be okay. I mean, it was okay yesterday. Why shouldn't it be okay tomorrow? And really, that seems to be where we are with this economy. Everything looks great. I mean, yeah, we've got the highest interest rates in, what, 16 years. But that's not a problem. I mean, it wasn't a problem yesterday. And look, we had solid economic growth in the second quarter. How could there possibly be a problem? And by the way, inflation is cooling and the jobs data looks awesome. So yeah, we live in this very sanguine world right now. Economists over at the Fed are even saying we're not going to have a recession now. Uh, The recession has been taken off the table. There's an increasing belief that the Fed is going to be successful in slaying price inflation while bringing the economy into the mythical soft landing. This isn't going to be 2008 all over again because of the reasons. And I'm over here like, uh, you know, you might want to look at that hurricane forecast because it's a coming. But, you know, that's me. I've been saying this for quite a while now, and, and I get it. People look at people like me and Peter Schiff and Jim Grant and, and others who are sounding warning bells, and they say, well, you've been sounding warning bells forever, and everything's been fine. And all I can say is that, you know, things play out slowly until they play out really fast. So, we'll just have to see what happens down the road. Anyway, we had the July Federal Reserve meeting this week, and I'll say this about the Fed. It tends to follow the script, right? It almost never surprises us. It almost never does something that the markets aren't expecting. They like to maintain expectations. They want everything to be nice and smooth, no herky-jerky. And this meeting was no exception. As expected, the Fed hiked rates another quarter percent. And as expected, Jerome Powell was predictably vague with a sprinkle of hawkishness on top about what will happen next. So this was the 11th rate hike In the last 12 meetings, it took rates to between 4.25 and, or not 4.25, it took rates from 5.25 to 5.5%. That's the highest level, as I mentioned earlier, in 16 years. Now, 
If you look at the official FOMC statement that was released after the meeting, it was very little changed from last month, and it did leave the door open for more tightening. Uh, it said the committee will continue to assess additional information and its implications for monetary policy in determining the extent of additional policy firming that may be appropriate to return inflation to 2% over time. The committee will take into account the cumulative tightening of monetary policy, the lags with which monetary policy affect economic activity and inflation, and economic and financial developments. Pretty much what they said last, last time around. Now, the CPI dropped more than expected in June, but it was not enough for the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell to declare victory. During his post-meeting press conference, Powell said inflation has, quote, moderated somewhat since the middle of last year. Quote, nonetheless, the process of getting inflation back down to 2% has a long way to go. So, still not declaring victory, still trying to indicate that we could see more tightening, that there may be more work to do. Um, if you really kind of look at what Powell said during this press conference, it looked like he was trying to chart this path between non-committal and hawkish. Um, he emphasized that future decisions would be made meeting by meeting, but he did leave the door open for another rate hike in September, or maybe not. He said it is certainly possible we could raise the funds rate at the September meeting if the data warranted. And I would also say it's possible that we would choose to hold steady at that meeting. So, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Um, Powell emphasized that everything moving forward would be data dependent. Uh, we, we hear that term a lot, and we heard it a lot during this press conference. Uh, Powell said, we've covered a lot of ground and the full effects of our tightening have yet to be felt. Looking ahead, we will continue to take a data-dependent approach in determining the extent of additional policy firming that may be appropriate. So, he is kind of conceding what I've said, that you know when you raise interest rates, you don't have this immediate impact on the economy. It's not a microwave, right? You don't see um, the impact of this rate hike tomorrow. It's going to be down the road. And, you know, I keep looking back at the uh, 2007-2006 time period and, and, and reminding you that it was a year before we really saw the impacts of those rate hikes and the bursting of that uh, housing market. Um, now, Powell did try to lower expectations that the Fed might cut rates soon, and he's been pretty emphatic about that. He's really tried to dampen any expectations at all that rates might start dropping soon. He said, I would say that what our eyes are telling us is that policy has not been restrictive enough for long enough to have its full desired effects. We intend to keep policy restrictive until we're confident inflation is coming down sustainably to our 2% target, and we're prepared to farther tighten if that is appropriate. Powell went on to say, we would be comfortable cutting rates when we're comfortable cutting rates. And that won't be this year. I don't think it would be. Deep, huh? <laughs> now, probably the most surprising thing that Powell said is that he actually indicated that the Fed could start cutting rates before the CPI hits that 2% target. 
He said the federal funds rate is at a restrictive level now. So if we see inflation coming down credibly, sustainably, then we don't need to be at a restrictive level anymore. You'd stop raising rates long before you got to 2% inflation. And you'd start cutting before you got to 2% inflation too. You know, it's interesting because Powell is really pushing this idea that interest rates are very restrictive right now. Monetary policy is restrictive. He used that term numerous times during the press conference. And the fact of the matter is, it's not that restrictive. I mean, yeah, 5.5% interest rates are high given that they were at zero for over a decade. But if you look over the course of history, they're really not that high. And there's a thing that is called the... um, the Chicago Fed Financial Conditions Index. And it actually still indicates that the current financial environment is easy, right? And this raises a point. There's a difference between tightening and tight. They've been tightening, and it's tighter, certainly tighter than 0%, but it's not really tight given all of the stimulus that has been dumped into the system over the last decade plus. Uh, So, you know, this whole idea that we're just really restrictive right now is a myth. Now, that's not to say it's not restrictive enough to cause major problems in the economy, because it's certainly high enough to do that. We saw that back in 2007, 2008. But in kind of historical terms, we're not really all that restrictive. We're restrictive enough to kind of tamp down the obvious signs of price inflation. We're restrictive enough to break things in the economy, but we're not restrictive enough to absolutely solve the inflation problem. Again, we've talked about this before. Go back to the 1980s when Paul Volcker was Fed chairman and he took rates all the way to 20% to slay the rampant price inflation. And we're nowhere near that level. Um, anyway, so that was a little little side note. Um, so you had this hawkish spin from Powell. I mean, it wasn't as hawkish as um, some of the meetings that we've had, but, uh, you know, hawkishly vague is what I would like to call it. Um, and despite this, the mainstream consensus still seems to be that the Fed has finished hiking rates. Uh, there's only a 22% chance of a September hike, according to the benchmark Fed funds futures. Uh, one analyst told CNBC, this is a, quote, hawkish hold. Um And this analyst said, in our base case, their next move will likely be a cut, but it will take until 2024 until we see it. That said, Powell will have no choice but to keep the threat of hikes alive, lest he encourage markets to prematurely price in cuts and reignite inflation expectations. So... What? <laughs> you know, it, it's weird because it's like we're playing both sides of the coin here. Uh, inflation's beat. The economy's great. Everything's fine. But the Fed can't give any indication that it might cut rates because then we'll get inflation again. It's like they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, right? So basically where we are right now is we've got a bunch of central bankers that are just trying to keep their options open with the most open-ended, vague rhetoric that they can come up with. And I mean, you know, you got to love Fed speak, right? Powell and the other central bankers over at the Fed have this remarkable ability to say things in such a way that no matter what happens, they can say, see, we told you. Just listen to Powell's press conference after this last meeting. Based on what he said, 
The Fed could raise rates again in September. The Fed could pause rates in September. The Fed could even cut rates in September. And Powell could plausibly say, yeah, this is exactly what we said was going to happen. I mean, no matter what they do moving forward, Powell can say, I was right. Because he didn't say anything. You know, the most honest thing that Powell said this week was this. It's not an environment where we want to provide a lot of forward guidance. Well, Jay Powell, mission accomplished. You have not provided any kind of forward guidance at all. You have opened the door to virtually anything. Good job. Now, of course, the secret to Fed speak is using meaningless words like data-dependent. I mean, think about it. What does that really mean? It's supposed to sound all technical and science-y, but it really just translates to, we're going to do whatever we want to do in eight weeks, and then we'll justify it then by pointing back at some numbers. And this reveals a dirty little secret. The Fed doesn't actually have a plan. There's no plan. This is not some kind of carefully orchestrated, proactive, scientifically driven monetary policy. Powell and company are throwing toilet paper at the wall and seeing what sticks. Everything is reactionary, and it has been all along. Think about it. I was saying that we have an inflation problem long before the Fed acknowledged the inflation problem. They were still running around saying inflation is transitory. If they were really data-dependent, they were really driven by some type of, of actual scientific plan, they would have started raising rates long before the CPI got as high as it did. In fact, if they really were working off an actual blueprint, they would have never kept interest rates at 0% for a decade. It's absurd. And here we are. So, the the Fed policy is basically, you know, see what happens and then we'll do something. And, you know, that's why their interest rate projections are only like 37% right. Like when they do these dot plots and they tell you that in a year interest rates are going to be at X. That's correct about 37% of the time. So think about that for a minute. The people who actually set the interest rates can't tell you what the interest rates are going to be in a year. That tells you everything you know or everything you need to know about the Fed. It's basically a dartboard monetary policy. You know, throw a dart and, and, and then hope it works. So anyway, I am still of the mind that something is going to break in the economy. As you know, I am not sanguine. I'm basically in the same place I was after the June FOMC meeting. And I guess in a lot of ways, I'm probably saying the exact same things. Because with interest rates at five and a quarter percent or five and a half percent, it's inevitable that something's going to break in this economy. It's just a matter of time. As the saying goes, things happen slowly. And then they happen all at once. You know, just consider this. Interest rates now are higher than they were in June 2006. And that was the peak of the hiking cycle that burst the housing bubble. Now, think about that a second. They hit that peak in June of 2006. We didn't see the financial crisis really break out until the fall of 2008. So more than two years later. 
The Fed held rates at that high level um, until Bernanke cut rates in September of 2007. This was still a year before the financial crisis really reared its ugly head. That's when they actually started cutting rates. That's when home sales started to collapse. But everybody was like, oh, it's not a problem. It's contained. It's fine. No worries. And it wasn't until the fall of 2008 when all hell broke loose. Now, there is a difference today. We have even more debt. We have even more malinvestment in the economy. And I just can't wrap my head around why anybody thinks that things are going to turn out differently this time. How they think that the Fed could blow up all of these bubbles just like they did prior to 2008. How they can raise interest rates just like they did prior to 2008. But this time, it's going to be totally different. The economy is going to be fine. Everything's going to work out just fine. Nothing's going to happen. I don't get it. Nobody has been able to explain that to me. What's different today that makes everything going to be okay? The only thing that they can ever point to is, oh, we've got these robust job numbers. And we've talked about the job numbers uh, a number of times on this show. I don't put a lot of faith in them. And, you know, employment is also a lagging indicator. Um, So, yeah, that's where we are. Let me give you just one example of... um, how much worse it is today than it was back in 2006 and 2007. Now, the last time rates were this high, the national debt was a mere $5.6 trillion. Today, the national debt is over $32.6 trillion. And the federal government is running huge deficits month after month. Meanwhile, we've already seen more corporate defaults through the first six months of 2023 than we had in all of 2022. According to data from Moody Investment Services, 55 American-based companies defaulted on loans through the first half of this year. It was a 53% increase over the total number of defaults in 2022. So we can see cracks in the foundation, right? And what's causing this rise in corporate defaults? Well, rising interest rates coupled with with tightening lending standards. And why are interest rates rising? Well, of course, it's the Fed, right? But again, I've I've alluded to this. The central bank actually caused the problem long before it started hiking rates last year. Central banks incentivized a borrowing spree with more than a decade of artificially low interest rates. So we've got all of this debt. It's not just the national debt. It's not just corporate debt. Individuals are running up massive amounts of debt. Household debt is at record levels. People are still spending money on credit cards. People are still putting money or buying things on credit cards with interest rates on those credit cards at over 20%. So when price inflation caught up with the monetary inflation that the Fed's dumped into the system over those decades, central banks were forced to hike rates. And now rising interest rates are popping bubbles that were blown up by that loose monetary policy. As Zero Hedge put it, quote, the aggressive monetary tightening policies of the Federal Reserve have been a major factor in pushing many companies into default by making it harder to pay back their loans. The same is going to be true of the federal government. The same is going to be true of individuals. Basically, what the Fed giveth in easy money, the Fed taketh away with tightening. And, you know, This is the ugly truth. The Federal Reserve has screwed up everything that is a function of interest rates. And pretty much everything involving money is a function of interest rates. So our money is completely screwed up. 
Rate hikes have already precipitated a financial crisis. Despite the Fed's insistence that the U.S. banking system is sound and resilient, we've already witnessed three major bank failures. Now, the Fed's bank bailout papered over some of those problems, but as I talked about last week, the issues in banking are still simmering under the surface. And if more problems don't manifest in banking, I mean, there are plenty of other things that are jacked up in the economy. So here's what I'm driving at. Rate cuts are coming sooner rather than later, no matter how tough Powell talks today or what the rest of his crew puts on a dot plot. Ultimately, the Fed is going to reverse course and cut rates to keep banks from failing or you know, to prop up a crashing stock market or to save the housing market or prop up the government or bail out overlevered corporations or reinflate whatever pops next in the bubble economy. But the thing is, until we see that pop, until the crisis erupts, until things start happening quickly, the Fed can plausibly just kind of muddle along like it is, be vague, and pretend everything's fine. So, if things hold together until September and the CPI doesn't show signs of cooling, you know, maybe we will see another rate hike. But the longer this plays out, the closer we get to rate cuts instead of rate hikes. And what I'm saying when I say that is the longer this plays out, the closer we get to inflation actually winning, right? Inflation might be retreating right now. You know, I think about uh, World War II in, uh, in Africa. The Germans had their lines greatly overextended. And Rommel, who was the German general at the time, he wanted to retreat. And Hitler was like, no, we're not retreating because Hitler was nuts. And uh, as a result, the Germans ended up losing that Africa campaign. Um, so right now, inflation is in retreat. It's doing what the Germans didn't do. But when you retreat, you can refortify your position and set yourself up for an on fist of onslaught. And that's what inflation is set up to do. Because inflation's not beat, right? I mean, think about all of the money that the central banks dropped into the global economy just during the pandemic. On top of all of the money that they pumped into the global economy after the 2008 financial crisis, all of that inflation is still sloshing around, right? Little rate hikes and a, a very minor shrinking of the Fed balance sheet did not fix that underlying problem. It masked the symptoms for the time being. As soon as the Fed has to go back to cutting rates, as soon as it goes back to easy money, that means it's back to creating inflation. So the bottom line is inflation is not going to win this war. And we're already seeing some signs of, of this problem. I mean, oil prices have, have started to rise. We've seen this dollar weakness, although we got some dollar strength uh, this week thanks to the GDP numbers. I'll get to that here in a sec. But um, yeah, it means more price inflation is in your future. It means that the Fed is not winning this war. Um, speaking of the stock market, uh, I wrote an interesting article discussing John Hussman's prediction that we're on the cusp of a major stock market crash. Now, Hussman accurately predicted the 2000 and 2008 stock market crashes. And 
Now he's saying that the current stock market bubble will end in tears. Um, he said this crash could trim up to 65% off of the S&P 500. Uh, I'll link to an art- that article on the show notes page. You can check that out. But um, you know, he's talking about the stock market bubble. There's bubbles everywhere you look. You know, we've got a bubble in the bond market, bubbles in the stock market, debt bubbles, uh, commercial real estate bubble. There's a housing. There's all kinds of bubbles, and bubbles pop. So keep your eye out. Um, now, interestingly, gold did not react much to the Fed meeting. I think it was actually up a couple of bucks um, after the rate hike, because again, there was no surprises there. Um, gold actually waited until Thursday for a big sell-off, and that was precipitated by the initial GDP print for Q2, which came in at 2.4%. So, that's pretty solid economic growth. I mean, it's not great, um, but certainly better than a lot of people expected. Uh, you know, we're, we, everybody's kind of thinking, okay, the Fed's been tightening, so we're going to get this slowdown in growth. And it came out a little, little stronger than possible. So now everybody's like, see, the weather's fine. No hurricane in sight. And with that news, gold actually sold off and dropped back below 1950 an ounce. Now, uh, this morning, we've had a little bit of a rally. And when I started recording the podcast, we were back above 1950 an ounce. So it seems to be holding uh, that support level at this point. But um, yeah, we got that sell off in gold. We had a, uh, a strengthening of the dollar. Thanks to this economic news, and it and it's you know it's all this reverse. I was going to say reverse psychology. That's not really the word I'm looking for. Um, it's kind of a, a backward expectations, right? Normally, if you saw a strong GDP number, you're seeing economic growth. That would usually be good for the stock market, right? People be like, "Oh, this is great. Economy's growing. Things are good." Instead, we have. A big sell-off in gold, a big sell-off in stocks, uh, which also happened yesterday because we have good economic growth. And the reason is, is everybody's looking at the Fed. They think, oh, well, there's good economic growth. That means the Fed's going to tighten more to try to get rid of the good economic growth. Um, so, that's kind of what happened with gold this week. And I've said this before, I don't think you're going to see a big breakout in gold um, until whatever cracks in the economy actually cracks. Um, you're going to see, I think we're going to be pretty range bound as we have been for quite a while now um, until we, we have the major shift and the major shift is coming again. It's just a matter of time. Um, you know, and again, as I said, this, this strong economic data makes people think that the fed might hike again in September and that it's going to at least hold rates higher for longer. And insofar as economic data stays strong, uh, the expectation is going to remain that way. But again, all of this goes right out the window the moment the next thing cracks. Um, and, you know, I was curious. Again, I keep kind of looking back to 2006, 2007. And it's not that I think things are identical. I understand that history doesn't necessarily repeat, but it does often rhyme. And so much of the situation then seems to parallel where we are now in a lot of ways. Um, There were cracks in the economy then. People like Peter Schiff uh, and Ron Paul were predicting a crash then. But most people thought everything was fine, Um, especially the people in a position to actually do something. You know, the Fed officials and government officials, they were like, oh, no, no, no problem, no problem. Um, So, I, I looked up the Q3 GDP in 2007. 
and it was 3.9%. So they were actually having stronger economic growth in the third quarter of 2007. So this would have been just uh, about a year before the financial crisis. So the weather looked fine, uh, even though at that point the Fed was already cutting rates. They had already peaked that rate hike or peaked that rate cycle and they were cutting. And now we can, of course, look back and we know that in hindsight, the weather was not fine. And it's not fine today either. I mean, it looks good, sunny, but the storm is brewing. So, um, before I sign off, uh, that's enough of the Fed stuff. I feel like I repeat myself ad nauseum on this stuff. I guess if nothing else, I'm, I'm consistent. Um, I, I just think that this is playing out nice and slow, but it's playing out. So, we'll see what happens. You know, I could be wrong. Maybe everybody else is right. Maybe the mainstream's got it right this time. Maybe uh, they're going to manage to bring this plane into the safe landing. We'll get the soft landing. The economy will be robust. Inflation will be dead. And everything will be hunky and dory. I don't think so, but we'll see what happens. Um, before I sign off uh, for this week, I want to share an interesting story that I ran across. Um, a woman in Oklahoma has a bag filled with 2,000 silver half dollars. Uh, they were given to her by her father back in 1970. Now, of course, if you have 2,000 half dollars, that means the face value of those coins is 1,000 bucks, which is nice. I'd like to have a bag with 1,000 bucks in it, right? But they are silver half dollars. And the silver in those coins alone is worth over $17,800. So you have $1,000 in face value, almost $18,000 in silver value. And because the coins are actually still in their original mint-sealed bag, they could actually fetch up to 100000 bucks at an auction. Now, this reveals the difference between real money and fiat currency issued by the U.S. government today. The reason that these silver half dollars are so valuable is because they are silver, and they were minted in 1963 when American coins were still made primarily out of silver. Now, ironically, we call pre-1965 dimes, quarters, half dollars, we call them junk silver. But we really should call the modern coins junk because they're basically made out of copper and they're not worth anything. Uh, they're worth you know, a quarter's worth 25 cents. What do you get with 25 cents today? Pretty much nothing. Can't even hardly get a gumball for 25 cents. Um, when they took the silver out of the coins in 1965, uh, the value of those coins rapidly depreciated. So this elderly Oklahoma woman is going to benefit from holding on to real money. And the rest of us, we are paying the price for failing to hold on to real money. Now, you can remedy that today. You can talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist. You can call 1-888-GOLD-160, or you can email info at shiftgold.com, or you could go to shiftgold.com, go to the Getting Started page, and chat with a Precious Metal Specialist right, right there, and you can buy silver. You can actually buy junk silver. We sell um, those pre-1965 silver coins. And uh, they're great to have around for barter. You know, if, if uh, you get in a situation where you do have a monetary collapse or, or super significant inflation, there's always going to be people willing to take silver. Um, so, 
That's an option. You can get junk silver. You can buy regular silver. You can buy gold. Um, talk to a ship called Precious Metal Specialist. Talk to them about your uh, investing strategy, your goals, and they'll help you see how precious metals can fit into your portfolio. So I urge you to do that today. So a little business. Next week, I am going to be out of town on Friday. I'm playing in a hockey tournament up in Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm going to record the uh, next Friday Gold Wrap early this week. And since there's not going to be a lot of new news uh, when I record on Monday or Tuesday, I thought it would be fun to do a Ask Mike Anything episode. So if you have questions for me, you can email M. Meharry, it's M M A H A R R E Y at shiftgold.com. M. Meharry at shiftgold.com. Shoot me an email, ask me questions. Uh, of course, they can be related to gold, silver, precious metals, the Fed, things that I normally talk about on the show. And I would even entertain uh, some personal questions um, if they are appropriate. So shoot me some questions and we'll do an Ask Mike Anything episode uh, for our next Friday Gold Wrap. So, that is a Gold Wrap for this week. You can get more details on all of the things that I've talked about today and more, and of course, keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shipgold.com slash news. And if you haven't done it, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap podcast at uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Shift Gold YouTube channel. You'll find links to all of those things and also our social media channels over on the show notes page. I very much appreciate you listening to the show. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Shoot me those questions for Ask Mike Anything, and we'll do that next week. And uh, I'll talk to you then. 